The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. The scripture reading for this morning comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 30. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, uh, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. You may be seated. And if you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and would like to be a part of children's church, you can go meet our volunteers over by the kids sign, wherever that may be. Right over here, if there is anybody, which doesn't look like there is. Oh, it came off in one go round. That's a good sign. As you saw in the video that we played for you at the beginning of the service, this year marks a year in which the tragedy of the death of Ted Strawbridge, who was an assistant pastor at our church and my church planting coach and mentor, died tragically and surprisingly. That had happened on October 5th. We'd lost him and we were just getting going as a church and we just couldn't believe it. We were reeling. And then seven days later, Elizabeth, our sweet church administrator's 34-year-old brother, passed away tragically because of surgery complications. We're a six-month-old church. We lose our church planting mentor, an assistant pastor, and a loved one close by. And I remember as the staff sort of limped to the end of the year, overwhelmed, exhausted, and grieving, I thought this. Whew. 2020 has to be better than this 2019. I'm so excited for a new year. And then as you can imagine, 2020 was there to kick us when we were down. A global pandemic, brush fires in Australia, political chaos, fires in the West, hurricanes, the death of a basketball star, the impeachment of a president, protests and riots, which are not exactly the same thing, the death of the Black Panther, the death of a Supreme Court justice, and murder hornets. That's right, murder hornets. 
This list is by no means exhaustive, but it has surely been exhausting. And we're not even to the end of the year yet. What we find in this text is that God's people can not only endure suffering, but that our joy, as astonishing as it is to believe, our joy can actually increase, increase in the midst of suffering. That's what we're here to be reminded of. Would you pray with me and let's ask God to bless our study of His Word this morning. Lord, would You have mercy on me, a sinner. I thank You and I praise You for Your Word and Your Holy Spirit and I ask that You would be powerfully at work in both this morning. 2020 has beaten us down. And I pray, like Paul, we might be able to grow in joy astonishingly amid suffering. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Ted Strawbridge, who we've been making reference to, had multiple bypass heart surgery in 2013. Ted, as you may have guessed from now, is this big personality, this loud volume, this booming voice. And then, shockingly and scary, he has multiple bypass surgery in 2013. If you know him, you might have thought, man, now he's had this multiple bypass surgery, that might tame him, that might make him more timid, that might calm him down. Mary Lou told the girls, no such thing. If anything, with Ted, that ramped him up. That took away anything that would inhibit him proclaiming the Gospel. That took his volume all the way up. It was as if Ted had realized, I could lose my life any second, so with every second, I'm going to live to proclaim Christ. With how I have fun, with how I speak, with how I challenge, with how I plant churches, every moment is going to be for Christ because I could die at any moment. That's what Paul is saying in this text. He's bound between two soldiers. He's writing, and he doesn't know if he's going to get free. He doesn't know if they're going to end up killing him. In fact, he describes his suffering in another letter. So this is what was actually going on right here as he's engaging too with the letter to the Philippians. He says this in 2 Corinthians 1, 8-11, through We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might rely not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in prayer of many. What he's saying there is that things were so difficult, things were so sad, things were so heavy, things were so hard, is that he despaired even of life itself. That's what he was feeling. And in that, he validates us to feel. When we lose someone, 
when something is hard, when something is difficult, he validates for us to acknowledge, to not pretend that it's sweet and beautiful, to not polish it up, but to say, this is hard and extraordinarily difficult. But then he also models for us, he says, I will rejoice, yes, again, I will continue to rejoice, as he says in verse 18. He's saying just because the suffering gets harder doesn't mean the joy can't also grow. What he's telling us is that we can live in increasing joy during difficult circumstances because of confidence in God's provision and hope in our ultimate security and working towards God's mission. We can live in difficult circumstances because of confidence in God's provision. In verse 18, he says, I, again, I will rejoice. Yes, I continue to rejoice because I believe that I will in no way be ashamed. That God will grant me the courage because of the presence of the Holy Spirit and because of the prayers of the people. What Paul is saying, despite the fact that he's chained in between two guards, is that God is in control. That when things are difficult, that God is in control. It's this sense that God has, can use the good things, the bad things, the ugly things to bring Himself glory and to bring good to His people. And it doesn't always feel like that. Paul knows that. You heard him say, we despaired even of life. But can you imagine the beauty of that? That Paul has confidence and joy because he knows whether bad stuff happens or good stuff happens, that God is still in control. Charles Spurgeon used to say, I kiss the wave that flings me upon the rock of ages. Barbara Duguid, this fantastic author, I read a book of hers while I was gone on vacation. She wrote Extravagant Grace, and it's this wonderful testimony of how Believers mature slowly from the beginning until they're ready for glory. And it just talks very practically and poignantly about what it means. But one of the things she says is what John Newton has said, which is if the Holy Spirit's number one job is to remove each and every one of the sins in your life, the Holy Spirit's not very good at His job. When you hear something like that, you're like, whoa. If the Holy Spirit's primary job is to remove each and every individual sin from your life, the Holy Spirit's not very good at His job. But Newton's point, and Duguid's point, is that the Holy Spirit actually takes the good things and the bad things and the sinful things and uses all of those to deepen your reliance upon God. The Holy Spirit's job is to make you aware of your neediness for Jesus. Sometimes He does that through your sin. And you realize, I'm worse off than I thought. And I experience God more through knowing how much more I need a Savior. Sometimes He does this beautiful thing where He actually rescues you from a difficulty. And you see that God moves on your behalf and He grows your dependence upon Jesus in that way. Listen to Barbara as she says this. She suffered from debilitating migraines. She said, The Holy Spirit began to show me in many ways in, in which migraines were actually good for my soul. Migraines humbled me and reminded me that I am just flesh and blood. They showed me time and time again that God did not need my help to run the universe. He could do it quite well with me flat on my back. 
I want you to hear this. This is my favorite line in the book. God loves broken and contrite hearts, and we don't acquire those by living the victorious Christian life. God loves broken and contrite hearts, and we don't acquire those by living the victorious Christian life. What she's saying is if you could always take your struggles and break through them, take your sins and lay them down, that you would have this sense that you were walking as a faithful follower of Christ and that your dependence upon God would grow smaller and smaller. But it's in those sufferings and in that sin that causes you to be broken and contrite that you actually begin to look up and see how big grace is. We don't acquire those by living the victorious Christian life. What if God wants more than for you than to take away all your problems and take away all your sin? What if He wants to, instead of giving you a good life, give you Himself? Which you an experience in His provision and through your brokenness. We don't acquire broken and contrite hearts by living the victorious Christian life. Paul is confident that whether he dies or whether he lives, he's okay with it either way because he is in control. The Bible's word is sovereignty. That means he is power over all things. And so Paul feels confident that he can either die that day or go on and minister. And either way, it's okay. God will use his death or God will use his life. He has confidence in the plan of God. He also has confidence in the provision of God. Like I told you in verse 18, which we don't have printed for you, it says, and I have confidence. I eagerly expect that I will not be ashamed because of the Spirit's presence and because of the prayers of the people. What he's saying is that not only is God in control in this macro sense that you can rest easy as the backdrop of your life that no matter what I'm experiencing, God hasn't taken His hand off the wheel, but also that He'll meet your needs smaller increments along the way. He's cared for you in this macro sense, but He'll love you and provide for you in this micro sense. He will care for you. How will He do it? Through the prayers of the people and through the Spirit's presence. Paul's saying, I'm making it here in Philippi because you're praying for me. Friends, that's convicting. Are we praying each other through prison sentences, through death, through loss, through suffering? Are we praying each other? That's what Paul's clinging to. Now, I'm going to smack my hand first, but then I'm going to smack yours, okay? I'm going to smack my hand first. We have tons of ministry areas, tons of them. Men's, women's Bible studies, men's dinners, women's dinners, children's ministry, an upcoming children's ministry event. We have all kinds of church-wide events where we gather and hang out. We have city groups. Do you know what the smallest single ministry area of ours at the church is? Wednesday night prayer group. Wednesday night prayer group. Now let me smack my hand first. I haven't been and led with my presence enough. I haven't urged you how important it is to come. I haven't built our church around Wednesday night's dependence upon God. So that's where I'm in trouble. But what about you? 
It's so easy to be busy with soccer and homework and hall meetings. Where are you on Wednesday nights? Where we are praying, not Paul, to be sustained in prison, but we are praying for each other in grief and in loss, in falling into sin, and in suffering and in cancer. Where are you that we can hold each other together as God's people, that we can lift our voices and say, we get that we're dependent upon you and we're crying out to you. Paul says we make it through because of the prayers of the people and the Holy Spirit. We need each other's prayers. We need for it to be more central in the life of this place. And then also Paul will make it through because of the Holy Spirit. He says that I will make it through not just because of the prayers on the outside that are encouraging me, but the Spirit on the inside which is holding me together. Saying, take one more step. Believe. That means when you have failed dramatically on Saturday night and falling into sin, that the Holy Spirit's whispering you to get up, come to church, be encouraged by the Word. That when you can hardly stand up because of your suffering, because of chronic pain, that you still hear, go to city group. Let those people love on you and pray for you. That the Spirit is encouraging us from the inside as the prayers are meeting us on the outside. God allows us to live in increasing joy because of His providence and control and because of His provision through the prayers of His people and through the Holy Spirit. So it frees Paul to say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. He can have confidence and joy that no matter what, he's going to be okay. They can kill him or not kill him. He's going to be happy either way. Do you live with confidence? Do you live with increasing joy that you're going to be okay because God has you and that God will glorify Christ in your life, whether by life or by death? He calls us to live lives of confidence and joy, knowing that even if we die, even if we don't make it through, He will be glorified. And then basically that providence and that provision kind of stirs us up to live as the people of God. And that's what He's talking about in verses 27 through 30. Listen with me. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. What he's saying here is that in light of the fact that you know God is in control during your suffering, in light of the fact that you know God will meet your needs during your suffering, then you are freed up to live lives worthy of the calling of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're free to live lives of honesty, Lives where we're the same whether Paul is there or Paul is not there. Whether Jared is watching or not watching. That you're freed to live a life of honesty knowing that 
yes, you have goodness and you also have this old nature that needs to be dealt with and that's going to take time. You don't have to hide anymore. Lives of honesty. That yes, you're being redeemed and yet you're not all the way there yet. But not just honesty about our neediness. Also unity. Did you hear it in there? I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So he wants them to live honestly, consistently, but he also wants them to live in unity. What's happening at Philippi is that all of the suffering and the hearing about Paul, who's in prison, an otherwise healthy church is starting, just starting to shake, just starting to crack with division. And he's going to get into that more specifically later in the book. But it's just starting, people are just starting to take sides. They're starting to split up. There's a lack of unity. And what he's saying here is that you live with one mind. You live in unity together. He's saying one of the marks of Jesus being alive in a church is that the church is unified. Friends, let me ask us, is that our reputation? Christians, oh yes, they'll bring you all together. They'll point out how you're all the same and you're all headed in one direction. No. Christians will point out their differences and their frustrations and what they're against and not what they're for. And Paul is saying, you let the world see you united. United. Many of you have seen this show from several years ago called Lost. Lost is the story of this plane that wrecks down, crashes down onto an island, and it's basically the story of those people trying to survive and get off of that island. At least that's the story for a while. And at one point, the plane has crashed. People have died. They're running out of provisions. They don't know what's happening. Nobody's come for them. Someone steals. Someone drowns. And so they're all just starting to fight and to pick at each other. And finally, Jack, who's supposed to be the hero, steps in and he says, it's been six days and we're waiting. We're still waiting for someone to come. What if they don't? We have to stop waiting. We need to start figuring things out. A woman died this morning just going for a swim and this guy tried to save her and now you're about to crucify him. We can't do this every man for himself. It's not going to work. We need to start organizing. We need to figure out how we're going to survive here. Last week, we were almost all strangers. But we're all here now. And God knows how long it's going to, we're going to be here. But if we can't live together, we're going to die alone. What he's saying is that in order to survive, because no one is coming for them, they have to band together. What Paul is saying is something very different because we are certain that someone has come and is coming again. We should band together rather than die alone. That we as a church in our leadership on staff and the lay leaders of the church as the people that we refuse to let disunity among us. We're not going to talk bad about each other. We're not going to gossip. We're not going to pick that we are going to practice unity so that we can live together because we know that not only we have been rescued, but we will be more rescued more wholly soon. We can have confidence and joy because we've been protected by God's 
providence and by His provision. We can live as people of freedom and unity and honesty. And then He says this. Listen with me in verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. We like the first part of that verse. It has been granted to you to believe in Him. And we think, yes, Jesus took my filthy record onto Himself and was nailed to a cross. Yes, Jesus gave me His perfect righteousness. God justifies the wicked. Yes, it has been granted to me believe. And I want to stop there, but the Bible says it has been granted to you to suffer. The family motto of Christians is, yes, you will believe, and yes, you will suffer. There are, there are streams of thought and philosophies and attempted views of Christianity that say the, the longer you know God, the more free of life your suffering is. That is not biblical. He says you're going to be made like Christ by the way that you suffer. What if you thought like that? I want you to think of your particular burden-bearing suffering. The thing that weighs heavy on your heart. The thing that seems to not go away. The thing that seems to ache at you in the quiet before your body falls asleep. What if instead of God answering your prayer to rid you of that thing, what if God is using that specific thing to make Jesus look big? What if it was given to you as a gift so that you would know dependence on Him in victory and in failure? That you would get God instead of worried about getting something from God? Paul is saying, come and live this life of freedom with me. The New York Times wrote this article explaining to those who didn't know what Juneteenth meant. They said this on, 19, on June 19, 1865, about two months, two months after the Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered at Appomattox, Virginia, the Union General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas to inform enslaved African Americans of their freedom and that the Civil War had ended. Listen to this. General Granger's announcement put into effect the Emancipation Proclamation which had been issued more than two and a half years earlier on January 1st, 1863 by President Abraham Lincoln. What that general got the privilege of doing is saying, you're free. You just didn't know it yet. And what Paul is saying to us as He looks at us in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our stress, in the midst of our sin, and says, friends, you're free. You just haven't known it yet. May God give us the freedom and the joy to live like that. To live free so that others can experience that same freedom in Him. Let's pray.
Father, in our suffering, we are often prone to think of ourselves. And yet in Paul's suffering, he thinks of others. Help us to rest in confidence and in joy that You're in control, whether we're winning or losing. That we're freed up to live lives of honesty and unity together. We know sometimes that we're free, that heaven is coming, that we're Yours, that we're safe, but it just doesn't feel like it. Help us to live out of the reality that we're free. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.